I'm Nora Vetter, and the following piece is inspired by my relationship with my maternal grandma as an adult. Quotes from her are referenced throughout the piece, so I wanted to share a voicemail I received from her so you can get a sense of her tone and spirit. For context, I had texted a photo of a recent snowstorm. After a text response fail, she opted to call instead. Uh, Nora, I'm sorry. I I forgot to press send before I shut my answer off to your text this morning. So I just I just wrote very impressive. Uh, okay. <laughs> Thanks for the message. A scrap of paper filled with a mix of scrawled print and cursive recording saying she often spoke. Holy cow! Good grief, Gertrude. Oh, for Pete's sakes. To myself, I'd say. Well, that was cute. Meaning it was not. Also, I tell myself, you dingbat. My grandma. It wasn't until after my grandpa passed that I really got to know more about her as a person. Grandpa was the storyteller, the bold one, the boisterous one. That would know when he went too far by the tone in which grandma said his name. Willie. After he passed, the spotlight shone directly on her for the first time in over 60 years. At that time, I stayed with her for a few days to help with taking care of all of those details one has to tie up after someone dies, and that's when our new dynamic began. After I left, I would regularly check in via phone call or text. She wasn't a big fan of the latter, but it always felt like a win for both of us when she successfully got one sent off. I also continued to send postcards and letters with photos of my travels, not to brag, but to help her travel virtually along with me. She would jot down notes, then the next time we spoke, she'd have questions for me. All too soon, it seemed, her health issues began to increase. Of course, she wouldn't always tell me. I'd hear it from mom and then inquire. Just like many grandmas, she didn't want me to worry. Then came a Christmas at the hospital. A pacemaker was needed. Once again, I extended my stay to help in her first week of recovery. It was the most vulnerable I'd seen her. I was glad I was there to listen to her worries, to keep her spirits up, and even usher in the new year with her. She had high hopes of bouncing back completely after surgery, but the road to full recovery was full of bumps. Our conversations didn't change much, though. She lamented having to figure out what was for supper. She talked about watching The Bachelor or Bachelorette with the hopes that they'd find love. And she would hear about the latest with me, and I would hear about the latest with her. One time, referencing my single status, she pondered a possible silver lining. I had fewer people to worry about. She had three children, 18 grandchildren, and 23 great-grands, and she worried about every single one of them. Even you, she added. I assured her she didn't need to worry about me, but I know that didn't stop her. On one visit, I had just dyed a portion of my hair a mermaid green and shaved one side while the rest was left shoulder length. This was the most extreme hairdo I'd ever had. I fully expected my grandma to say something when I walked in, but the hair wasn't mentioned. I finally decided to ask what she thought about it. She confessed she was trying not to look at it. (laughs) I laughed. And then she proceeded to pepper me with questions about upkeep and styling. We had begun a tradition a couple years prior of taking a selfie. It was never that great, but it made us laugh, so I kept it up. 
This time was particularly important because I captured the hair she didn't want to look at. It was also particularly important because less than two short months later, she'd be gone. She started to be in and out of the hospital more regularly. I had trips coming up and asked my mom if I should come home instead. Not yet, I was told. It looks like she's getting better, I was told. When my grandma heard I was in Frankfurt, Germany, visiting a friend, she replied with an exasperated and admiring, that woman, I was told. And then I got an early morning phone call. She's dying, I was told. An unexpected downward turn. She was no longer able to communicate, but I could communicate with her. As I spoke to her on the phone, I'm told her face moved in reaction to my words. I was still in Frankfurt. I told her I wished I was there, but she didn't have to worry about holding on for me. I understood. I loved her. I wasn't able to fly out until later that morning. As I sat impatiently waiting at the airport for my flight, I received a text that she had passed. By the time I got to her house, item claiming, sorting, and ridding had begun. I opted to remove myself from the chaos and tackle the room no one wanted to, her sewing room upstairs. She had been working diligently at making quilts to use up all the fabric scraps she had, but time had run out. Among the sewing bibs and bobs were personal treasures she stored for safekeeping, and many scraps of paper with that familiar mix of scrawled print and cursive, one of which I bounded down the stairs with upon discovery. It read, I'm sewing on Sunday and it just came to me. Grandma, hers, used to say if you sewed on Sunday, when you got to heaven, you'd have to rip it all out with your nose, in parentheses. A pretty impossible task, I'd say. The pastor included that chuckle in her eulogy. That was four years ago, before the presidential elections. According to my mom, Grandma had already said she would write in Mickey Mouse for the president that year. I often wondered what she'd think of the state of things now. And then I realize, while I miss her terribly, I'm relieved that she isn't here now. She is now blissfully worry-free. And memories of her, though bittersweet, ease my worry too. 